Saturday <laughs> to you and your loved ones. See, I unless we talked about this in the pre before we started recording, I would have no clue what you were talking about. Like <laughs> oh, Matter launched with a, like a couple of weeks ago, right? And that was when the 1.0 came out. So and yeah. it made such an impact on the world. To be fair, there were some Eve products updated today with some Matter stuff. So maybe that's what you're referring. There's to. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of stuff. So they, they did. An, they, they're, they did. They're, they're doing an event in Amsterdam as we speak, I guess. And uh, to, to, it seems like there's like an embargo of today. It was a day when every company said that they were going to support things specifically. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it reminds me of whenever you get the Mac OS embargo after the keynote and weeks of using the beta. And then there's like an embargoed period for this is what we think of it. Cause I, I, Phillips Hugh said that there, there's documentation that says that they're going to add a thread or excuse me, matter to the bridge that they use. Like lots of companies are making matter statements today because of the yeah, Eve rolled out matter support to the, to event. three of their products, including the Eve motion sensor thing, mm-hmm. uh, which I actually have. So I do have a matter compatible product in the house. Cool. I don't know what I'm going to do any differently to what I did before with it, but there you go, because it already supported HomeKit, so it'll be no difference, I'm, I'm pretty sure, but we'll we'll see. Yeah. Apparently, Chance got invited to the Matter event in, in Amsterdam, but alas. I, w- I would not know there was an actual event going on. <laughs> Why is it Amsterdam? Is that like People the- need to chill out. There's so much talk on Twitter and stuff about Matter's going to change the world. Like, it's really, it's really not. Most of the benefits of Matter... Are benefiting people that aren't using HomeKit already <laughs> because like one of the things they tout is like QR code setup. It's like well that's that's how what HomeKit already I does. See, yeah, and local yeah. remote access. That's what HomeKit already does. Like because yeah. Apple donated the HomeKit protocol to be the foundation of the Matter standard. Most of the benefits are like are what people on the like the Amazon and Google ecosystems are going are gonna to have to uh, find out about. Like a lot of the features, the raw feature set is uh, already. Is, is the HomeKit feature set essentially like as we spoke about in the show before the main benefit is that hopefully there would just be more accessories in general that can be imported into the home app for manipulation because it will just widen the ecosystem from just HomeKit stuff to theoretically any matter compatible thing yeah but at least right now everything i've seen announced support already supports HomeKit in one way or the other yeah yeah uh we've also got apple earnings briefly to discuss uh what happened when Apple yeah, released so this, their this came out like after, just after we finished recording last week. Uh, like the company's doing fine. You know, it was $83 billion third quarter. Uh, some products uh, were maybe slightly, like some divisions were slightly under. Like the iPhone and stuff did well. The iPad was a little weak, but there were a couple of comments in particular I want to focus on. So services uh, was down on a quarterly basis. Now, for the longest time, services has actually just only gone up. So every single quarter, for maybe like one exception in the last like five years, every single quarter there's been year-over-year growth, um, um, growth compared to the previous quarter. So most Apple di- hardware divisions show year-over-year growth, apart from like you know if you go back to 2018 when Apple really had the slowdowns and they started doing the training program and all that panicking, that was when they were seeing like year-over-year declines. But ignoring the iPhone slump, most divisions have some amount of year-over-year growth. That's why they can end up announcing um, you know, that they made more money than they did the year before, which is which is why their stock does well, et cetera, et cetera. But services has actually gone up every single quarter. So not just like a like the holiday quarter, then the quarter before that would be uh, would be an increase, and then the the, the the quarter after the holiday quarter would also be an increase in the quarter before it. So that's been their growth trajectories because obviously services have been have been booming. But the most recent quarter, there was actually noticeable deceleration because this quarter services revenue was down compared to the quarter before. Some of this is due with foreign exchange. Some of this is due with like product mix. There's very complicated factors, but in short, the revenue went down so there's a deceleration in services revenue growth at least on the raw statistics maybe partly explains why apple loves putting ads everywhere for instance because they're trying to keep that 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 churn running i saw some commentary on the services number being like oh this is the because services contains obviously tv plus and music and all that stuff as well and people immediately linked it to the fact that they just raise prices on those services as if like, okay well now the revenue's staying down we've got to push the price up but the the true reality is that most of that services number is commissioned from the app store, i.e. thirty percent on purchases, in it purchases, fifteen percent subscriptions, that kind of stuff. So look at all it's all one big pot, right? But the main reason why services decelerates is app store is mer- you know, merchants um 
operating on the app store like i.e and and user apps and stuff and if that's down apple gets less of that commission hence it goes down so obviously the content services are gradually gradually making up a bigger chunk of that overall amount but it's still like you know 10 to 1 in favor of app store revenue Uh, so that's that and then secondly Apple specifically announced that they're still not releasing quarterly guidance, by the way. So because of the COVID stuff, they're still using that as an excuse for not reporting any predictions for the next quarter in terms of hard revenue numbers. Uh, but they did they did comment that they expect significant Mac revenue growth decline for the next quarter. They attributed this slowdown to the fact that the compare from last year, the same quarter last year, they launched the new MacBook Pros with M1, like the M1 Pro and M1 Max chips. And apparently they were very, very popular. And so... That obviously injected a burst of sales into the Mac division. They basically said without saying that they're not going to have any new notable Mac launch in this quarter coming up. So this current quarter we're in. Uh, so don't expect revenue to match uh, to match that level because last this time last year, they launched loads of new expensive laptops that people bought in droves. So they're not planning to do that this quarter. And then a couple of days after that, Mark Gurman in his um, newsletter said as much as well. He said that Apple is not planning to release any more Macs this year, despite previously saying that the M2 generations of MacBook Pros and Mac Minis were on the cards. But for whatever reason, that stuff has now been pushed into 2023. Uh, on the earnings call, Luca Maestro even said, like, uh, the product lineup is set for the holiday season. So even outside of Macs, it might be there's not anything new hardware-wise announced for the rest of 2023. That certainly was the kind of implication you got listening to that call. Um, mm-hmm. But Mark Gurman specifically confirmed that the M2 Max, uh, the M2 Max, like MacBook Pro and <laughs> Mini computers. that we were expecting to come out, are not coming out in the in the remainder of 2022. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm not in the market, right? Because I just bought, I bought, I was one yeah. of the buyers of that M1 uh, Pro and Max generation. Uh, yeah. But it's a bit, it's a bit strange that they don't have the the spec bumps ready. German seemed to imply that they might not come out to like March timeframe. Uh, which is quite late in the season. And again, the M2 Max are not like a giant leap compared to like the, the, the M1 generation. They're nice, but they're just like small incremental improvements. Like look at the MacBook Air of uh, the M2 MacBook Air. Great, like the M2 MacBook Air chassis and hardware obviously got a big update, but the, the raw performance profile is not that different to the 2020 MacBook Air, which is obviously still sold. And so for the MacBook Pro, obviously it had its big hardware redesign a year ago, we weren't expecting a huge change. The maybe the biggest like casualty is the Mac Mini because there's going to be more months of that Intel Mac Mini still being in sale because we presume that the M2 generation is going to be the one with the M2 Pro chip is going to be the one to kick out the remaining Intel machines from the lineup. Uh, but if they're not coming until March, it means Apple's still going to be selling Intel stuff for a while yet. It's just it's just inventory already like is just sitting in the corner somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Because obviously the the M1 lineup of Mac Mini has a weird gap because there's no desktop M1 Pro chip, right? No, There's no desktop Mac that has an M1 Pro chip in it. You can get M1 in the iMac or the Mac Mini, or you can get the M1 Max in the Mac Studio, but the M1 Pro chip is not in any desktop Mac. It's only in the laptops. But for the M2 generation, people are expecting that there's going to be an M2 Mac Mini and an M2 Pro Mac Mini, and it's the M2 Pro Mac Mini that will be able to replace the intel stragglers yeah the uh the the m2 also like part part of its um like selling pitch is that it gets some of the the video encoding speed boost that the mm-hmm. m the higher end m1 chips had like the pro and pro max right or excuse me pro and max um uh, and and so that helps put that that helps to you know explain like what is the m2 all about um plus like the you know whatever 15 percent speed boost or whatever so but but i guess I guess it'd be interesting to see if there's anything like that for the M2 Pro and Max. That's even. And you're not uh, like for taking. The, you're not going to buy one of these, right? You, you're happy with your. No, car. I don't not buy anything. I just oh, use. Oh yeah, I've, yeah, good I just one. Use them with the tools that I've you know built by hand and you, never you bought a new Apple TV yet that you said you weren't going to buy. Mm-mm, no, has yours arrived? Is it out yet? It hasn't arrived, and it's meant to be coming to my house tomorrow. But the Apple Store app still says processing, so I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, it's a high priority item. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll talk about Apple TV a bit more later. But yeah, like M2 generation, kind of sad we're going to have to wait many more months. And I hope that Apple has some other product news between now and March, because it's going to be a bit of a dry winter. But 
they'll have some software stuff i'm sure and we'll see we'll see what happens we're still waiting for this november now so we're waiting for them to release the emergency satellite stuff so people can go and test that out for the iphone 14 that's what they announced was november timeline for that presumably coming as part of 16.2 this week happy hour is sponsored by abode 95 mac and happy hour have teamed up with abode to give away apple's latest iphone 14 and all listeners can get the Abode HomeKit bundle at 40% off for a limited time. HomeKit lovers, this is for you. Abode is the only home security system, both do-it-yourself and professionally installed, on the market that allows users to control their full security system and integrated smart home products like lights, locks and more with the Home app on any iOS mobile device. With the Abode gateway, either the basic gateway or its all-in-one security system with built-in camera and sensor, you can use the Home app to view alerts and video from other connected devices in the Abode home security system. Check the camera's live feed in the Home app as well as organize and view devices by room to make keeping track of each activity easy. The Abode HomeKit bundle includes everything you need to build your home security setup with seven different HomeKit products discounted by $300 on sale for just $4.99 for a limited time. So you can get the discounted HomeKit bundle at goabode.com slash offer. That's G-O-A-B-O-D-E dot com slash offer. And to be in a chance to win the iPhone 14, hit up the link in the show notes. Thanks to Abode for sponsoring the show. Next up, we've got really big iPad rumors. Really big iPad rumors. Yeah, 16-inch iPad uh, rumor. This is from the information. They say it's coming next year, 2023. Um, And this... I guess separately, there's there's been rumors of a 14 inch iPad Pro by by way of Mark Gurman at Bloomberg. Um, so this is a separate. And the information is pretty good. It seems to be with, with rumors about Apple uh, in general, not about hardware, but at least like Apple related information. So, yeah, strategy and they have all those profiles and yeah, yeah. So yeah, I trust got, the information's report. Yeah, they keep yeah. having loads of stories on the. On the headset, right? Like that, that, the Irish tracking story that we talked about last week. That's true. Yeah, that is hardware. Information better than the verifier. So 16-inch iPad Pro or iPad whatever. This is, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it follows kind of like the the weird iPad lineup, you know, released for this year and then like really subdued iPad Pro update. Um, this this is, I think this is super exciting for the iPad. Um you know, <laughs> and and to have next year, I don't know if it, if it actually comes next year if it doesn't get pushed out because it seems like every hardware rumor has like a set date and then it gets pushed back by six to nine months. But um, you know, to to go from twelve point nine inches to sixteen inches, that's more meaningful than to go from twelve nine to fourteen. Um, and this this is also it would you know just just like going from the um, nine point seven inch to the twelve point nine inch iPad was like really big in twenty fifteen. This is like the next version of that, I would say. What about you? Yeah, because it gets it gets bigger. Everyone freaks out that it's so big, but then you just get used to it. It's like, this is it now. And then it's like, well, maybe I can go even bigger. Because I remember when I got the first iPad Pro 20.9 inch, like you said, in 2015, it felt like the biggest thing ever. I was like, how on earth is this going like, to be like, like comical. the common iPad size? And all that's happened since then is that every other iPad has slowly crept up in, in inches. Like, when the iPad Pro 12.9 came out in 2015, the biggest other iPad they had was 9.7. But since 2015, they've slowly bumped up the rest of the lineup. So you have like the 11-inch iPad Pro, you have the 10.9-inch iPad Air, you have the 10.5-inch baseline iPad, like everything, even the iPad Mini got a bit bigger. Um, they just bump up the screen size of everything. And so now it's come back around that the biggest iPad is going to get a screen size boost. It is interesting thinking about like the lineup dynamics because... If this is going to 16 inches and there's going to be a smaller 14 inch one, is the 14 inch the replacement for the 11 inch? Because then that kind of works. Because we always talked about how, like, there's now a, there's now like a three 11 inch iPads almost because you've got the new iPad 10, you've got the iPad Air, and you've got the iPad Pro 11 inch. So if this is, if the new iPad Pro lineup for 2023 is going to be 16 and 14, then the iPad Air would be like, it would just be the iPad 10 and the iPad Air in those kind of 11-inch brackets. So it would give a more distribution, more a more um, uniform distribution of screen sizes across the iPad hardware lineup. Mm-hmm. It, this this would probably support Stage Manager, I, I guess. I mean, you'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and One the, app the, and full screen on a 16-inch iPad, that's a... Even just four on a 16-inch uh, iPad seems like that would be limiting, so... Um, hopefully a better version of stage manager as well. And, and 
I'd guess uh, M3 as, as, a, as a processor if this is next year, maybe. Um, or could they go M2 Pro? And and uh, you know, because it's, it's, I was thinking, you know, the the M2 is a MacBook Air chip. The M2 Pro will be a MacBook Pro chip on the iPad. The M chips is are Air and Pro without any you know higher end version of it. So, is is there a reason to put a higher end M chip in in the iPad Pro, or is it really? I just think it depends thing? on thinness because mm. the higher end chips obviously use a lot more power and they have a they have more thermal consideration. Mm-hmm. So that's why all of the M2 Pro and M2 or any of the Pro or Max chips right now they are all in devices with fans in them, right? So. The MacBook Air gets the M2 or the M1 because it's fanless, mm-hmm. but you yeah. put in the and the M1 Pro, the M1 Max, they all have fans. And even if the fans are running very, very, very quietly, they all have fans. And the iPads, obviously, right now do not have fans. And it seems like something seems like a bridge Apple wouldn't really want to cross putting a fan <laughs> in an iPad. I, I agree. Although other tablets exist or have existed that did put fans in them, so it's not like a it's not like an, a complete impossibility. But it doesn't seem like something Apple would really be keen on doing i could see them maybe having like a a desktop dock that had more power in it potentially for a future ipad generation like if that's how they want to like really bump up the performance you can imagine like docking the ipad on a desk and it being hooked up to an even faster chip or something but in mobile only mode it's hard to imagine apple choosing to put a fan in an ipad and i don't think the thin and light design of a tablet in general is really going to be able to support the higher end m2 pros m2 maxes uh, without thermal cooling, so that's it'll probably be an M2 or an M3, yeah. And yeah. if you think about 2023, uh, 18, like the uh, the last the last iPad update was what 18 months. This would be yeah. a 12 month update, although the screen size are changing. So unless they kept the other ones around, it maybe it, it could be a complete set. Like this could be an iPad Studio. They could carry on selling the current iPad Pros as is and just add an even bigger one on the height. And who knows? Yeah. Um, Expect that from Tim Cook's Apple. Maybe it's the iPad Ultra. That would also explain why the uh, it's using the same chip as last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the screen size too. I mean, um, I bigger iPads are super expensive. You know, to go to go from eleven to twelve point nine, you go from eight hundred to eleven hundred dollars. So it's just just for the tablet. You know, no keyboard or any accessories or anything like that. Um, so you can imagine that 16 inches would also be like even more expensive and even more higher, like high end, unless they did a different strategy where it, it doesn't have as much of the niceties like promotion and things like that. But um, I would, I would assume that a 16 inch iPad would cost a bit more than the 12.9 inch iPad. Yeah. And I wonder what screen technology are used because yeah with the there's a lot of oled talk going around yeah and you've already got micro led, Mini LED in the yeah. i had a 50 50 chance micro is that, that right. one that they're still developing that is like super super good but it's years away yeah yeah, yeah. Well, so my, mini my... led is what's in the ipad pro 12.9 not 11 inch only the 12.9 uh and they are supposedly going to OLED for the next revision. So I don't know what the 16-inch would use. Presumably mini LED because 16-inch OLED panels probably have to be really expensive. Yeah. This is a device, a 16-inch iPad, is a device that I would love to use and own and just would not think about it as a Mac replacement, even though, you know, Macs, in terms of portability, I would, I would consider it like a MacBook Pro where you can, you can get a 16-inch MacBook Pro this would be like similar dimensions, but thinner and lighter, I would imagine, for just the tablet itself. So in terms of, like, it seems like a, you know, a giant iPad just wouldn't be as portable. But in this case, I think it still meets that portable criteria of, you know, b- backpack. It fits a backpack uh, and it's lightweight and easy to move around. Um, but uh, I, w- I would love to try one of these. It just, it don't, you know, I, I wouldn't see the, I w- personally wouldn't have a need. It would be. It would be just because I think it's cool technology and like fun to see what iPad OS is like on a bigger screen. You know, like that. That's about it. Yeah. What about, I, what, same. Same here. Yeah. The iPad problems and productivity are not just simply cyber making the screen bigger. It's still a software thing, and they did make some steps forward this year with Stage Manager, but obviously they have a lot. lot they have a lot further to go to really make it competitive and to be as productive on an iPad as on a Mac. Yeah, different kind of productive, I guess. But 
Uh, I mean, I'm all in favor of this thing existing, though. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, we've got rumors about the iPhone 15. This comes from Ming-Chi Kuo. He tweeted over the weekend about uh, the the volume and power button on the iPhone 15. Maybe the maybe the Pro, maybe the Ultra version, whatever they end up calling that thing. But that the he expects next year's iPhones to switch to solid state buttons for the volume and power button. This is very similar to when the iPhone 7 replaced the clicky uh, touch, touch ID button, home button with a solid state button. Uh, they put in the Taptic engine from the Apple Watch to sort of simulate a click, and it's very convincing. If it was powered off, you just you'd press it and nothing happened because it was wasn't actually simulating a click. Um, solid state is in no moving parts, uh, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, in terms of like, what is it? What does it do for you? Um, they don't do solid state on the Apple Watch, like the, and I said that the Ultra goes even further from solid state because there was when, a rumor about that, though, right? Like at there, some there, point was, there was a rumor yeah. about solid state Apple Watch buttons, but obviously it didn't come to pass. Yeah, I don't know if solid state fits the use with gloves as easily criteria that that they like for the Apple Watch Ultra, you know, in all different use cases there. So, and also the Apple Watch Ultra, and I think just any Apple Watch anyway, is more water resistant than any iPhone has been yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the watch is, they're right for what, like 50 meters? Uh, yeah. And the iPhone is, I think, 10 meters or 5 meters. It's, it's definitely not the same degree because uh, obviously the watches are designed that you can take diving and stuff. Yeah, so I, I so I don't think that it's strictly because they can make it stronger, tougher, more durable. Um, and and then there's that well, it's it's fewer moving parts. But then they what what Corey says is that they would add two additional Taptic engines, so you go from well, because you got one now in general for notifications and haptic mm-hmm. feedback, and then you have the two additional ones to simulate clicks for the the sleep wake button and the volume buttons. Oh, I think it's more complex in terms of like potential failure. <laughs> so, so, so I think it's cool, but I don't know why it is what, what's the benefit here. So they did solid state button for the iPhone seven for the home button. Right. And back then the home button was one of like the most most uh, prone components to break in an iPhone. Like one of the top repairs was screen replacement or home button replacement. And so switching to the solid state button for the iPhone 7 uh, was probably worth it just for that. So they could reduce uh, the amount of people having to get stuff repaired for the button. And it probably aided a little bit with water resistance because the iPhone 7 is also the first time they, they towered the water, the waterproofing rating. Splash resistance, yeah. Splash resistant, yeah. Um, but it was always curious to me that they, they bothered changing the home button for the iPhone 7 when it only lasted really for like one more year after that with the iPhone 8 because then obviously with the iPhone 8 they started introducing the, the Face ID line of phones which were all home button free. Um, well, it's on the SEs now too. And it's on the SEs true. I know, but it, 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 even at the time it felt like this is a bit weird. But it, I, I can't remember when the iPhone 7 came out people being like, I'm so glad that it now has a solid state button. I'm using it in a whole new way. The phone's a revolution. Do you know, like it didn't, it just didn't happen. It's just like, oh, the button vibrates now instead of actually physically clicking. Um, so I guess that they, would be what would happen here with the side button and the volume button. It'd just be like, well, they feel a bit different when you touch them, but there's not really any practical benefit. And maybe for Apple's side, it helps them free up internal space for more battery or maybe camera components, something like that. Uh, but then you'd think maybe the button has to take up less space than another vibration motor engine in there. I don't know. I, I think with solid state buttons that when most of the story readers mentioned pretty pretty quickly was you know, how, how do you df your phones uh, so how do you do a you know force a hard reset a hard reboot um or or put your phone into recovery mode because right now the way that you do that there's an like nintendo cheat code style way of i think it's like up down hold for volume side button number of seconds like go <laughs> one thing in every time i do it i have to look it up because it, it not memorable to me you know the old way was like press the home button and the top button until you see the apple then let go of the top button maybe i don't know but it's, yeah, it would just hold the buttons down till it rebooted yeah yeah so but now it now i think it's you hold the side button down and then you press volume you press 
you press volume up, you press volume down, then you hold volume down. I think that's what it is, but I'd have to look it up. Like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you DFU if if uh, none of your buttons are physical? What's the input there to say? Mm. It, it, I, I mean, my guess is you just have to connect it to a computer to do that. Mm, well, okay. So is the ringer switch still a thing? Yeah. So maybe you just ring a switch a thousand times or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now we're talking. <laughs> I mean, that is a physical input. Like, yeah. It seems like they could make it work. Uh, like, and and I don't think you have to hard reboot your iPhone that often these days. I I can't remember the last time I did it for for a, a reason I needed to actually do it. So maybe if it was like. Maybe you just toggle the switch like fifty times in a row or something. Maybe that could get away with it. I don't know. There's like a Morse code. There's like a SOS. Is like you you make that with the vibration of the ringer switch going on and off, and then it triggers it. So so that's that's a curious one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, that is actually interesting. Or maybe there is like you say, if you plug it into the into the computer and you can like remotely reboot it or something. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe it like they just. Trust enough in their firmware so that the software buttons are on like a separate like mini coprocessor or something, so they're not like tied to the main OS, so they can always work even if the even if the phone's frozen or something. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's kind. Of, it's, it's kind of amazing that the mute switch has lasted this long. You know, it was yeah. on the iPad. <laughs> it was on the iPad initially, and then they took it away with the iPad Air, I believe, was the first one to do that, and maybe the Mini or the second, the Retina Mini, maybe. Um, and it was like not like a forward backward switch but like an up down switch and there was the option in software to make it rotation lock uh rotation lock instead it was kind of divided like you know which which one it was better for and then it just went away entirely because you know johnny ive i guess um but on the iphone like that's that's one of the like with long lasting differences between an iphone and an android phone is with android it's volume up increases the volume volume down decreases it volume down all the way goes into mute and with the iphone it's the switch People still seem to appreciate that. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers fresh, high-quality, pre-portioned ingredients to your door with easy-to-follow recipe instructions so you can make meals that are delicious and nutritious. Sign up now at HelloFresh.com slash HappyHour65 and use code HappyHour65 for 65% off plus free shipping. The holidays are approaching... And I know that's a period when we're all strained for time. HelloFresh saves you time with chef-crafted recipes and pre-portioned ingredients so you can spend less time meal planning and prepping. And if you need to make a dinner in a special hurry, you can use HelloFresh quick and easy options like their range of 20-minute meals or their easy cleanup recipes. With over 35 weekly recipes, there's something to please everyone. And you can, of course, customize the weekly recipes by swapping proteins or sides or adding protein to a veggie meal, for instance. And HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% less expensive than takeout. Quality is HelloFresh's priority. Ingredients travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days, so you know they are fresh. Now, Zach, I know HelloFresh sent you some recipes to try, so how did you find it? Yeah, it's great. I had a pulled pork wrap with sesame salad and cucumber, and I'm the prep time for that is 10 minutes. Calories 970. It's a, it's a single serving um and it was enough for me to have dinner and then lunch the next day and it was so good like and i'm I'm kind of scared of cooking because i can mess it up quick uh but it was so good that like i wanted to make it again it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you want to order your favorite thing over and over i just wanted more of these ingredients to, to make this thing again and i you know, obviously save the recipe card so i can do that um but this this was really good it was a um Mixture like peach jam was involved and bulgogi sauce and sesame oil, like all these things that I maybe didn't even know existed. <laughs> and it yeah, was you never just, buy on your own. Yeah, it was terrific. And I mean, I will also say I don't really care for cabbage. So, you know, cheat code here D- didn't use all the ingredients because I was making it just for myself. So uh, <laughs> it's a great experience. Well, I want more of those. So go to HelloFresh.com slash happy hour 65 and use code happy hour 65 for 65% off plus free shipping once again that's hellofresh.com slash happy hour 65 for 65% off plus free shipping hellofresh america's number one meal kit thanks to hellofresh for sponsoring the show
All right, next up, we've got Spotify, and they're doing audiobooks now, uh, just like Apple Books does audiobooks, where you pay a premium fee and you get the audio book, like the audio version of a book. Um, not like what Amazon does with Audible, where you have a subscription each month that includes a credit to buy a book. Uh, it, it's just a bookstore. And they announced this a few weeks ago, rolled it out, didn't come to the iPhone app. I'm not sure people really cared or noticed, but then, but then Spotify made a big fuss about it on their, on their, I think the website's called Spot, uh, Apple, no fair Apple. Uh, and, and they, they said that Apple's time to play fair. That's the website. Yeah. Yeah. No fair Apple. So they, <laughs> they said Apple's like blocking innovation and they're blocking uh audiobook publishers from getting paid all this stuff. Uh, what, <laughs> what's the story here beyond yeah, that? Man? So this they announced Spotify audiobooks in September. It apparently did actually roll out to the App Store at first, but then Apple started rejecting subsequent updates to the app, saying that what they'd done for audiobooks was not in line with policy on in-app purchase. And this is all around the fact that we know if you're selling goods in an app, Apple wants you using that purchase, which gives them a cut of the revenue. And every other company in the world doesn't want to give Apple the money. <laughs> so they always... Some people comply, but a lot of them either just don't bother at all, or in Spotify's case, uh, they like to make a big public stink about it, which, I mean, look, if if I was in their shoes, it's probably very frustrating that I can't expand the business, and so I make these these statements. Obviously, Spotify and Apple Music are already entangled in massive regulatory battles over the anti-competitive, the alleged anti-competitive practices of the App Store. Um, in the music streaming market, at Spotify first filed a claim to the European Commission in 2019 and that case is still ongoing there hasn't been a resolution there that one of the one of the things that came out of this spotify audiobook thing because they did interviews with the new york times and stuff was their frustration that it's taken so long for somebody to act the u.s is also quote looking at it but again nothing nothing formally uh, brought forward but in this particular case i feel like spotify knew that what they wanted to do was going to get rejected but they released it anyway because they wanted the the pr to be on their side and basically another another entry in the anti-competitive book that they can put on their website they can include in future filings with various anti-competitive boards but basically what happened in this case is in the first instance you could just buy the book through the app and it would use spotify's payment system not in a purchase that is obviously out of line so then spotify came back with a new proposal where it would show you the bookstore but then when you actually went to buy the book or tried to buy the book, it would ask you to enter an email address and then they would email you a link to buy the book. Apple said that was also out of line with App Store rules. You can't send, you can ask for email addresses, but you can't target customers directly as a workaround for just offering the purchase inside. Again, this is written in the App Store review guidelines, so it's not really a surprise that this wasn't allowed, but this is what they tried. Then they tried again by like, making it even more obscure and eventually they got like a nine-step process uh which from a customer experience perspective is bad but from a what will apple allow we kind of knew this is where it has to end up at because everything spotify tried before was clearly in violation obviously you can dispute the rules uh, but the fact of the matter was that i think any company would have been very very lucky to get away with what they were doing and they didn't they they got caught and they made a big uh song and dance about it but the end result is Basically, you can the the Spotify audiobook section of the app works like most apps on the App Store, which have libraries of content. You can see the content. You can't buy it. There's no link to buy it. You can maybe put a new email address, and then maybe some point just work out that you have to buy the book on the website, and then you can access it through the Spotify app. Yeah, it, for iPhone users, this is the way it's been for so long that it's. I don't think like any customer is going to be annoyed by this. You know. It, I mean, the, the book, this bookstore from Spotify didn't exist before. You know, they they made it as a another way to make money. You know, bring in revenue. Um, of course, it wasn't going to be allowed on the iPhone, but of course, they had to to try to jam it through so that they can make their statement. You know, you can't. They're just making say, a paper trail, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. You can't just like say we we know they want to allow this, so we're gonna you know see what <laughs> they're making a paper trail exactly. Um, and until at some point they hope it, that the European Commission will compel Apple to allow them to just do it properly <laughs> yeah but uh, but it, i mean i guess it's just like the uh apple bookstore you know formerly iBookstore and kendall where you know you, you can make the purchase on your iphone within a purchase on i mean 
on the Apple's version of it, on, on Amazon's version of it, you've got to do the workaround when you buy it from the web and then come back to your, to your account. Um, because Apple has like, they, they do allow you to do it with an app purchase. You just have to share the revenue. It's not as bad if it was just not allowed to exist on the iPhone at all. But of course the business model is just so it is, is worth scrutinizing, especially if you're a company competing and, and you feel like it's unfair that Apple can do this because they don't have to share with themselves and no other company can. Uh, this it's like no different than any past example. It's just the latest thing. And it, I mean, I guess the more of these that happen, the, the, the better the cases from Spotify and others. The, this also feels different from, from Apple music where they don't do any purchase for Spotify because they have to share the revenue, but Apple music um, has to, like, you, you know, you do all of it from the iPhone without having to go to another website. Uh, in that case, I think just the, the fact that Apple music has always been smaller and subscribers makes that feel like less of a concern. But in this case, you know, this is a brand new business from Spotify. So it's starting from zero and yeah. to have to compete in this way, uh, or, or, you know, in this case, really not compete, not be able to compete. Um, it's a pretty, pretty clear and, you know, egregious example of, of what they argue is the issue. Okay. Let's talk about something funner. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. There's a new I, uh, beta iCloud and it looks way different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so iCloud.com has existed since iCloud has existed. Um, beta.icloud.com has existed since like, I don't know, probably iOS six or seven. Yeah. <laughs> Um, where you can go and access that as a pre-release version of what's to come. I bet it was iOS 7 when they redesigned it, and that was the way you'd go and look at the redesign. But um, anyway, there's always, you know, they've, they've always had this sort of staging of the change to the website, and then eventually that becomes the main website. Uh, in this case, they've changed it in, like, the most drastic way ever for iCloud.com. Um, previously, or even currently, if you go to iCloud.com, you get a grid layout that looks a lot like an iPad home screen, you know, pre-widgets or, and you know, my best description of this is like CarPlay where you just got a grid of icons and you launch the web apps from there. Um, you got, you know, usually the apps are a pretty good representation of like, if it were an actual app running on your Mac, they try to make it look like that. They don't try to go super web native. Um, and, and in the redesign, again, sticking with the CarPlay analogy, They've gone from the grid layout to just a bunch of widgets. You know, they call them tiles for different, you know, uh, different apps and, and pieces of information on, you know, just like an open background. And that's what the beta iCloud.com looks like. And it's, you know, we don't actually have next-gen CarPlay yet, so we can't say, you know, this is what it's like to use that. Uh, so it's a brand new experience in terms of like having a hands-on experience for this from from iCloud.com and I guess it's like a push into embracing the website. It's like a web, you know, like more web first design than, than try to emulate what's on the iPhone or iPad or Mac design. Uh, it's way different for Apple. I would say, uh, I think you can compare it to like, it feels like an old website. <laughs> like, like I think, I think overall it's going over pretty well. People like it because it is so different. And I think it is like functionally just more interesting, but there is kind of a, a dated 2000s website feel to it as well. Yeah, it's like, it's both modern and also like MSN Messenger 2005 era kind of kind of vibes. That's what I get yeah. off of it. It's like, it yeah. looks, it kind of reminds me of the um, the trend there was for a while of like these websites that would just make like desktop widget environments and you'd like go on them and I don't know check the weather and stuff like that that kind of existed in the like in the beginning of the web 2.0 era this this kind of design for the home screen of the new beta iCloud I think I prefer it to what they had before like what's currently live on iCloud.com which is obviously less useful less more less information at once but it does remind me a lot of like the very early beginnings of like 2006 2007 era web design I don't know it just feels maybe slightly too weird combinations of like gradients and shadows and stuff it's like a but it's also newish i don't know it's, it's strange but there's a lot of like well, think, things going fashion apps, and come back yeah yeah things going to fashion and come back um the individual apps i think are about the same in terms of functionality maybe they're a bit faster to launch and stuff which is nice because icloud.com has always been very slow uh, but the main home page is quite feature rich because not only do they have those tiles you can 
remove them you can add new ones you can rearrange them like it's like a widget system that you can and when you go to edit them they like jiggle like home screen app icons like it's a pretty complicated system uh so it's an interesting level of investment here for something that i can't imagine that many people use but i guess it also doubles up as like an advertisement for iCloud Plus services is this, this is like another perk of the fact that you're paying for iCloud every month. I think maybe is maybe yeah, where they're if you're, from. if you're using a PC, you know there there are on Windows there are some changes coming with a you know native Apple Music app or uh, better photos integration and what a TV app on mm-hmm. Windows. Yeah, so th- I think this is also part of that effort. I would guess because I doubt that many Mac users end up on iCloud.com for the longest time. iPad users couldn't even access it. That's changed in recent years. But for the longest time, it was like, no, you're on an iPad. Use the, the built-in apps and settings. Um, but it's, it's also where you take care of some business. Like there's some some settings for, um, you know, recovery, file recovery and contact recovery and um, uh, some more HomeKit secure video information. So there's some functionality to it that like everyone would need to go and see. Uh, but even aside from like the make this your homepage on your PC kind of thing, I, there is some like it does feel kind of windowy too in the design. I haven't used Windows in a long time, but just the fact that like it does not feel like any other Apple platform um, made me think, oh, this feel this feels more like like control panel-y. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But it's but, interesting but, that they're giving so much investment in it because I kind yeah. of felt like they were kind of abandoned it to be honest but sure now they just reappeared with this massive change yeah so we'll keep an eye on it for sure yep happy hour this week is also brought to you by rocket money are you wasting money on subscriptions 80 percent of people have subscriptions they have forgotten about and you know at the moment how all of these services keep bumping up their prices so cutting down really can save you money i mean if you don't use them why are you paying for them because you forget and there's not a good way to keep track of things Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a streaming service that you no longer watch. Well, there's an app to help and stop you from wasting money on subscriptions that you don't even use. I think it's a great idea. You might have heard of it even. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. Go to rocketmoney.com slash happy hour and download the app. Sign up and the app simply shows you all of your subscriptions in one place so nothing's hidden anymore. You can then use the app to cancel whatever you don't want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions that you don't know you were paying for or instances where you've been double charged for a subscription and didn't realize it was happening. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press the cancel button. Rocket Money takes care of the rest. And the app acts as a monitor for subscriptions you do want to keep, like notifying you when an existing subscription goes up in price. And it can even remind you when free trials are about to end. So get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash happy hour. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash happy hour. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Rocket Money for sponsoring the show. Uh, Apple TV QMS. <laughs> yeah, so this came How out about those of letters? Um, yeah. the Apple TV reviews. So the Apple TV 4K third generation will be available to people as this show goes out on Friday the, the 4th supposedly i'm getting one i've ordered it but it doesn't the shipping information remains ambiguous but hopefully it arrives um and the reviews this week were i think as expected like what you're going to say about a box it's the same but faster and the reviews basically said that and they were widely praised as it being a good update again if you have an existing apple tv 4k you shouldn't feel much pressure to 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 move forward but as a year over year update remember the last apple tv update was only uh, march 2021 uh it's a pretty nice step you get faster chip it's cheaper the Siri remote now charges USB-C. You get um, HDR10 Plus support for Samsung TVs that don't have Dolby Vision. You know, a couple of other niceties. Uh, and, the, and crucially, the price is cheaper, right? So it's 129 now starting rather than 179 starting for the 4K model. Uh, but one little tidbit that came out of the reviews were both The Verge and TechCrunch were told that, uh, but told by Apple that in a future update to TVOS, it's going to add support for something called QMS, which is called Quick Media Switching. Now, this is something I actually looked for when they announced the new Apple TV in the press release. And because I didn't see it in the press release, I just assumed, oh, they're not doing it. But this is something I've been hoping that's, that people adopt, including Apple, because I always feel like the Apple box um, generally leads the way on like bleeding edge like home theater features. And this is definitely in that category uh, because no TVs on the market today support QMS. But when they do, and the software updates out for the Apple TV, which is supposed to come out later this year, uh, you'll be able to take advantage of it. So what is QMS? Basically, 
when you use match content on the Apple TV uh, in the Apple TV video format settings, what happens is when you change app and you start watching a video, it changes the signal being sent from your TV um, to a different frame rate or to a different resolution or, or uh, video depth um, based on dynamic range uh, based on the video content. So you get the, the native content rendering to the TV screen rather than the Apple TV box performing like interpolation. But what QMS does is it takes out the black um, switching, the black like frame switching that happens because you, most TVs today, if you switch frame rate, they have to like go, they have to like do stuff and you see it on screen, like the whole screen goes back, black for a few seconds and then it comes back and it's in the new format. Well, basically, QMS is a feature of HDMI 2.1 that means you don't get a black screen. So in the future, whenever TVOS uh, supports this feature and you need to switch the frame rate to match a movie or TV show that you're playing and you have a compatible TV, you won't see the black screen problem, which is a really nice uh, improvement on like the living room experience. So I'm thrilled that Apple's like, I wish they'd just had this on the features list yeah. <laughs> originally, but I'm thrilled that they said they're going to support this because it's a really nice little addition. Yeah, I've tried match content and I think I used it for several months when it was first first came out. Uh, and, you know, because I wanted to get like the best experience in terms of video quality and, and you know, viewing as it was intended. Um, but overall, the practicality of not having the screen block out every time I change the app or or move from the app to the video one out and so i haven't used it since then i turned it on recently just to give it another shot and you know it, it would it doesn't matter like how how nice the tv is it's just this is how it goes um so i'm i'm glad you know recently only this this existed in general but i'm glad to know that it's coming um to this apple tv is, is it is, is it so let me get this right it's a future software update for the apple tv is it only on the the third gen apple tv 4k and then also yeah. it requires it's a third gen feature yeah okay and then also it'll require a compatible tv so it won't yes. it won't like existing tvs won't get an update for example that adds support for this um it's probably going to be limited by the chipset of the tv so mm -hmm. maybe if you're really really lucky some existing tvs will get a firmware update to support it but i think generally it's going to be like the big feature at ces like all the TVs yeah. for the 2023 season will support QMS. I think that's how it's going to play out. Gotcha. Cool. That's that's not too terrible. Um, it's also a cool the, feature though. Like it's, yeah. I'd rather them have it than not for sure. Absolutely. It's it fixes a glaring issue <laughs> that that isn't Apple's to resolve, but in this case, the the industry is is fixing it. Apple's involved in that, so that's great. Uh, soccer. What's going on with soccer? Yeah. So the Athletic had an interesting report this week talking that they'd found some internal documents from Major League Soccer about the forthcoming uh, Apple MLS deal and basically what MLS had promised Apple in terms of production. Uh, because if you've forgotten, Apple will be the exclusive home for all streaming Major League Soccer games uh, from February because the season starts in February 2023 and that, that deal lasts for a decade. So every single game for Major League Soccer will be available on an Apple TV subscription not necessarily Apple TV Plus. There's going to be a separate subscription, but some games between Apple TV Plus. That's like a complicated thing. But basically, uh, you go to the Apple TV app, you'd be able to watch Major League Soccer. But they also promised all sorts of stuff. And so they, it's really interesting. Like the Athletic had like a really big behind the scenes profile of like what the MLS has pledged to do and how they're kind of struggling to achieve it right at the gate. So they want like... But like MLS is underfunded in America, so the game, the the production quality on most games is pretty weak. And so part of this deal, and that Apple's giving MLS a load of money, but MLS is going to handle production of all games to a much higher standard. At least they hope so. They want to run pre-game and post-game shows for every match. There's a whip around show that will run. Uh, they want all shows streaming. They want all games streaming in 1080p, up from about 720p today, and 4K eventually. And they want the number of like um, cameras to be dramatically increased. So up for, like right now, you have about coverage from about six to eight cameras on a typical game, on a typical match. They want it to be like 12 to 15. They want commentary in multiple languages. They want you know, multiple audio streams. They want other interactive features. All of this stuff, right, that they've supposedly promised will be part of this deal. However, the first games start streaming in February and they don't have an executive producer signed on. They don't have broadcast teams signed on. And according to The Athletic, they don't know yet how they're going to actually produce these games technically because they can't find the equipment. Uh, so, like, you need, like, broadcast production 
vans that are quite expensive and hard to find that can support like 15 streams of cameras and multiple audio tracks um and you need all the talent to be able to get there and back and move around all the place so all these logistics are still very much up in the air but that's at least what endless has promised apple they will be able to deliver in reality it seems like some of the stuff uh some of the like the specifications as it were might not be ready for like the february 2023 season maybe they might be ready by the year after or something because they also want to build like a central hub for production that isn't going to be ready so they're going to have to send all the teams out and stuff so it's all a bit in flux but it was a really interesting article in terms of what uh, mls has basically promised apple and also it involved some details about what apple wants out of the deal so obviously apple pays the money they get the streaming rights but um Apple has also got product placement commitments in there. So major league soccer coaches will be equipped with iPads to use on the bench during matches. Referees are going to get be fitted with Apple Watches. And then even the team kits are going to be adorned with Apple logos, probably the Apple TV logo or the logo of the MLS Apple uh, streaming service. It also said that Apple wants to play about with some more interactive elements that they haven't had an opportunity to do yet, maybe in advance of like an NFL Sunday ticket package deal. So they can kind of use the the mls games is like a testing ground for some features because like mlb baseball that apple streams right now is generally just like a standard baseball game like they have high bitrate video which is nice but there's no like technical innovation it's just streaming a game and it's commentated and there's less distractions on the screen Uh, but it sounds like for the football package Apple's got some bigger ambitions and they want to do more and that will be emboldened by the fact that there's going to be so many games streaming at once. Like the 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 step up from MLB Friday Night Baseball, which is two games a week, right, to 13 games a week minimum uh, on this package uh, for Major League Soccer is going to be significant. So we'll have to see how that all like shakes out. Uh, the big question though remains, how much is it all going to cost? And as of right now, we don't know. They haven't announced pricing or they haven't even announced final naming for what the MLS Apple streaming service will be. They All they've said is that some games will be available completely for free, some games will be behind the TV Plus paywall, and then access to all games will require this subscription to the MLS service specifically, but they haven't announced a price for that yet. But that is apparently under Apple's remit, not the MLS's, and Apple is going to offer supposedly significant upfront discounts to encourage signups in the beginning season years, and then maybe like increase the price over time. That is an incredibly detailed report of things to come for this. And the most th- fascinating thing to me is the uniforms having logos from Apple. On them. I know that like, really struck me because <laughs> Apple is so careful about where they put their logos and stuff. Uh, but they, the fact that every like football jersey you buy for, for soccer in America is going to have an Apple logo on it somewhere now is kind of crazy. But we'll look... For, I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not a big sports guy, but I am interested in like the production and the business side. And this will be like... Until they land the NFL package, this is like the biggest thing they've committed to. And it's a lot of games, like a lot of hours streamed, a lot of view, you know, even a lot of viewership. Um, obviously, MLS isn't huge, but it's still like, you know, going to be watched by hundreds of thousands of people on across multiple games. It's going to stress test the Apple TV platform by a lot. So we'll keep keep our eyes out for that. And I think maybe there'll be an announcement soon about pricing and stuff. So we'll keep you updated. Finally this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by Pillow. More and more studies are showing that getting a good night's sleep improves your health and well-being in more ways than you can imagine. And Pillow is an all-in-one sleep tracking app to help you be more aware of your sleep patterns and discover what might be affecting your sleep quality. Pillow tracks and analyzes your sleep automatically, and you can check in with a full report the very next morning. If you have an Apple Watch, tracking your sleep is as easy as wearing it to bed. If you don't, you can do it through the iPhone or iPad app. Just tap a button to start your sleep session. You can even record sounds of the night like sleep talking, apnea, or other noises that might be affecting how you sleep. And use the Pillow app to check trends, get personalized insights, and compare your sleep metrics with your weight, steps, caffeine consumption, and more. And use smart alarms to get woken up at the most optimal time, aiming to wake you up when you're in a stage of lightest sleep. Pillow is, of course, privacy-minded. All of your sleep and audio data is encrypted and stored on your device, and when it's communicating with iCloud, it's using end-to-end encryption. Pillow is free to download from the App Store with a set of features that you can use for free every day. And try Pillow's premium features with a seven-day trial. Just visit Pillow.app to get started. That's Pillow.app to get started. Thanks to Pillow for sponsoring the show. All right, that's the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Ready for this one? 
Oh, I figured we had to cover it at some point and the deal did close. So here we are. Yeah, yeah. So Elon Musk bought Twitter, um, set himself a CEO, uh, is making some fast decisions on a short amount of time. Very typical. I'd say very erratic. (laughs) Well, like very typical Elon Musk style of like management where it's like uh, these things fast, don't care about the limits of like, you know, humanity and et cetera. Um, Or practicality. Yeah, it's not a race. Things can't deliver and then maybe deliver something somewhat similar eventually. Yeah, none of it's like, I think it's all just like front loaded where it's like right now and none of it's like sustainable uh, long term which makes it, the company aspect of it just super fascinating to watch. Um, but I mean, in general, so my Elon Musk experience is, is that uh, I've, I've never had a Tesla. Uh, they were super interesting for the longest time as like the EV. Um, now there's a lot of companies that not, not just like General Motors, et cetera, but lots of other startups that have super interesting things in, in EVs, EV products. Um, there's a number of trucks you can buy that are electric vehicles before the Cybertruck ever actually ships. Um, so it's not the only, Tesla felt like it was the only ball game in town, or, you know, only ball game in town for the longest time. And now that isn't the case, uh, with SpaceX, I've become a huge, uh, follower of SpaceX since 2019 by way of, um, being exposed more to NASA and having access to what's happening in, in uh, space exploration, have a lot of like experience with like SpaceX events as well from rocket launches to um, like Elon Musk events where, you know, I'm invited as press and get to see him speak and ask questions, et cetera. So um, there's that, but then like the the person of Elon Musk, like who his character is, you know, uh, things that he says, things that uh, like how, how relatable is he as a human? Like um, none of the things that interest me about him, uh, make up for the fact that I think there's so much that if you just have a little bit of decency, like you, you, you wouldn't behave in certain ways, um, regardless of like how many resources you have. So, so, th- so that's my Elon Musk thing for, for right now in terms of like, Twitter. Um, it, it, it's not that we have to say like, we'll wait and see what happens. You can already see things happening. I mean, just a number of changes have happened where nine to five Mac was part of the um, Twitter blue ad publisher uh, partnership where, and we spent like, you know, a, a, several days of like having our developers integrate with Twitter Blue so that if you subscribe to Twitter Blue, you could read 9 to 5 Mac and all of our, our sites ad free. Um, that that just went away with like a day's notice or like <laughs> less than a day's notice. It's just gone. Um, and then, you know, Elon is like talking about something that could be that again, you know, like making it again, but just wanted to cancel that thing. There's a lot, a lot going on there. Uh, reports that being verified could cost $20 per month and anyone could do it. Um, and then that became $8 a month. I think when, like, I don't think Elon Musk, you know, there's like the whole thing with politicians where do they actually know the price of, of a gallon of milk? Um, if not, they're out of touch with Elon Musk. I don't, I don't think he knows like prices in general. And I think $20 throwing it out there. Like the best comparison would be what a subscription services cost. And $20 is like Netflix pretty high up there in terms of subscription costs. So <laughs> that wasn't a good first pitch. Um, higher than $3, which is where Twitter really launched. Higher than 5 which is where it's gone. But $8. A uh, lot, lot of issues with that. A lot, lot of things to break down there maybe in the future. But um, for now, at least, the whole idea of verification is something that you buy. Um, we've been verified for a while. I've lost verification and then got it back over time because of a number of uh, shenanigans. But... Uh, the the idea that you'd have to pay to maintain that, I think, it defeats the whole purpose of what verification is, which is to show that you're a public figure and not someone impersonating a public figure of some sort. Uh, once you can buy that, then it loses its meaning. I did kind of a, a public example of what that would look like by turning my Twitter account into Elon Musk's Twitter account, essentially where I changed my cover photo and profile picture and display name to what was on his profile. And then I tweeted out something like be anybody you want to be $8 a month, Twitter blue, which was like very close to a tweet he had done for Twitter blue. And the idea is you, you pay Twitter and you can impersonate anybody and look like you're verified. People don't look at the username and they think that it was you. Like we have a hard enough time already with, with like fake accounts claiming to be people, even if they're not verified getting, you know, we, we all get tricked by, by a tweet that isn't actually from who we think is from. Uh, in this case, with like in like one hour, there were 
7,000 likes and <laughs> 2,000 replies, most of which thought that my account was Elon Musk and they were like either complaining about it or praising it. Um, I had several DMs that were pitches for, for what Twitter should do in the future to Elon Musk. And then they realized like seven messages in that I'm not Elon Musk and that they got duped. Um, all of which I think is like just really proves the point of this, the system, you know, pay for verification is flawed and just because you paid some money doesn't mean you are who you say you are yeah loses all the value uh i I will say within two hours two and a half hours my account like the the tweet got deleted by twitter the username became a period instead of elon musk the profile picture got reset um you know but i i really think that it's because um you, you know uh jane from uh, who we all follow and like scoops things from Twitter, you know, has all this. Mm-hmm. She she brought attention to it by saying like, "Oh, look, Elon Musk follows me." Jk Jk, and a lot of t- Twitter employees follow her because she breaks into their like she she finds all their features before they announce them. Um, so I think that is what made it like just a two hour kind of uh, demonstration. I think otherwise it would have gone for even longer. I don't know what the state of my Twitter account is right now. I don't really care. I have, I love the products. I love the, like, I literally got it, got like my career is, is through Twitter. Like relationships is like that being the the platform where you make those relationships and connections. Um, I think it's how a lot of people know about us, <laughs> but this is so, so much is just, you know, I, I want there to be like stability and like the product to be uh, successful and you know, all of that. But um, very, very concerned, I would say. <laughs> very yeah, concerned. Obviously, Twitter has been on unstable ground for a while. There's been other reigns of leadership that have also been under, uh, maybe over-promised and under-delivered in many regards. You had a clash with Jack Dorsey <laughs> with the lightning oh, yeah. bolt, remember? <laughs> about 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 that. Giving it electricity. Yeah, uh, well, they killed the Mac app at the time, and I tweeted out and like tagged Jack. Um, would it look any different if Jack were trying to sabotage Twitter? You know, because it's like, care a lot about Twitter and you're taking away the things that let us use it. Uh, and he like replied back with like a question mark. And then he was like, and just trying to, he's like, we're looking for ways to bring electricity back to Twitter or something like that, you know? <laughs> so yeah, like, it's not like the previous owners were fabulous. <laughs> uh, but Elon Musk is certainly trying to make his mark. And I love Twitter. Like you said, we built our careers on Twitter a lot. I've made friends on Twitter. I talk to loads of people on Twitter. I love it when people tweet at me. I'm very lucky to be in a privileged segment of society that doesn't get harassed or criticized for random yeah, stuff. That's a big if there one. is a bit of it, I can just ignore it because I'm thick skinned. I the, felt it when I was Elon Musk for a few hours. Yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> did. Like the benefits of Twitter are so huge to me. I'm I can I have no plans to abandon the product if the product gets materially worse i probably will but that's just natural but i'm not gonna quit just because elon musk now owns it but obviously it depends what musk does that impacts the reality i'm certainly not going to pay eight dollars a month just to have a blue tick next to my name like we had our i had my account for many many years before i had a blue tick on it and so and it is kind of cool having a blue tick not gonna lie and it does make your name show up higher in search results and stuff which is nice but i'm not paying eight dollars just for something vanity i'm sure they're gonna roll in some other like perks and features and stuff but i never paid 3.99 or how much it was for twitter blue either so uh i'm not like jumping on that bandwagon and on that bandwagon and i do think it's funny that like whether it's eight dollars a month or twenty dollars a month the amount of money twitter needs to make to make it worth it for elon musk's purchase and all the debt that he's acquired on the company like getting some verified user subscription program at either twenty dollars or eight dollars a month it's going to be like a hundred million dollars a year or something like you what twitter needs is billions of dollars to be able to actually become profitable and to and to float and just adding some some monetization to verified membership probably isn't going to get you very far so whatever twitter actually needs to do to survive and to thrive is still to come like it's a bit like the apple situation where it's like well now they're putting ads everywhere you know is there like future and it's not and obviously with apple it's not about being to survive it's just about like continued growth uh but I still feel like that test for Twitter under the Elon Musk regime is an un- unknown quantity. Like, where, how much is he going to push it to make the money that he needs to make? Because just putting some eight dollars a month on the verified badge won't won't cut it. Yeah, I think the ideas that are being implemented or even just tossed out are good. I- a lot of them are good ideas if you 
can maintain the existing business, which is ad driven. And if you lose, that's you know the, the big source of revenue. If you lose that, then this is all just small potatoes and doesn't help at all. Um, and, like and I then, would pay personally if they would offer like an ad free Twitter. I would pay for that. You said half the ads, but I think if, if you if you do this version of Twitter Blue, but I think half the ads could also mean that half the sponsors have left. Yeah, like <laughs> if let's just because rolling in like half the ads with like the vanity stuff and other bits is like a bit of a. Uh, thorny situation if you just had like ad free twitter on its own like we have like ad free happy hour right yeah i'd probably be into that i like i, I don't mind paying for ad free for an ad that's what people say when the but service if they start out, making yeah. twitter so exclusive that like the only way you can enjoy the platform is to pay then that's a negative because 99 percent of the world will not pay it's just a reality and 99 percent of my communications on twitter are with people that won't pay which is fair enough i completely get it because most people don't use twitter like we do right they they check it a few times a week they use it casually we you know we have like business relationships to it so it's a different kettle of fish and i don't want the platform to be just because they need to make money they suddenly have to make everybody pay for it even if it made them profitable it would lose the magic of twitter to me that's the reality and i think if they did make everyone pay for it to enjoy it they would they wouldn't get enough people on board anyway so there's gonna have to be some other scheme probably involving advertising and as much as musk keeps saying that you know he hates advertisers or advertisers uh, you know upset free speech or whatever rubbish he you know goes on about or, on his own personal Twitter account, I feel like the reality of the future of Twitter is still very much firmly rooted in advertising and a lot of his like high-flying claims about, you know, removing all the restrictions stuff probably won't come to pass eventually. They'll just kind of go by the wayside. That's my that's my expectation anyway. And my hope is that Twitter, the core product, isn't perturbed too much. I know the employee, a lot of employees are hating it. I know already some segments of customer bases are more impacted than others, but Fingers crossed the the core Twitter experience will remain and that'll probably be just about the best we can hope for. Yeah, I've got way more thoughts on, on this, you know, because Twitter has been such a foundational part of my career, uh, which is so funny to say, but it's true. Um, I think we'll, this is something that we'll, we'll continue back. to talk about. Yeah, unfortunately, I've got we'll, Ryan, we'll wait but... for your must cause an earthquake in the product. <laughs> then we can I mean, that. I think just in seven days, we'll have more to discuss on this topic and maybe we can dedicate more time to it. I've got, unfortunately, I've got to run for now, but um, it, it's, it's something I think about a whole lot and care about a whole lot. It's, so, it's certainly not going away. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be an so, ongoing story. Yeah. So more on that next week, probably. And, and, Probably be <laughs> for more on that in the future. Uh, for now, this is this has been the Happy Hour Podcast. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, whatever podcasts are played these days. Uh, we do have the subscription version of Happy Hour, which is five dollars a month or fifty dollars per year. That's the ad free version. So if you enjoy the show that much, you can help support us directly. Thanks to everybody who supports our sponsors. If you have any feedback for the show, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow my zombie Twitter account at ApolloZach or my temporary Twitter account at OMFGZAC. And you can follow like Mayo. And, by the way, that's good. Yeah, it's hard to find a username without handles and that one kind of fit. So, or, or username without numbers, etc. So, uh, and you're on Twitter at BZA Mayo. And we will be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.